This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Um, When we first started, we had a team of about 10 people there for probably 10 days too. Um, kind of just pushing cows in and getting them used to that stall, making sure the robot was identifying them, kind of mapping udders and figuring everything out. Um, but they learn pretty darn quick. I mean, cows are very much creatures of routine, so once they get into something, they want to stick with it. That was Emily Snyder from Rocky Point Creamery, located in Tuscarora, Maryland. And this is the Farm Traveler Podcast, and I'm your host, Trevor Williams. And on this episode, I'll be chatting with Emily about the family farm, which was started back in 1883 and has grown to include an extremely popular creamery using their farm fresh milk. We'll also chat about the benefit of only being 30 minutes from Washington, D.C. and its impact on tourism, what consumers learn on farm tours through the dairy, and a very impactful fundraiser involving sunflowers and St. Jude's Children's Hospital. As you heard in the intro clip, Emily will also go into detail on how their robot milkers work and just how long it took the cows to get used to this sort of technology. We'll also chat about the importance of working with local businesses and the collaborative nature of creameries throughout the United States with organizations like the National Ice Cream Retailers Association. And lastly, we'll learn how Rocky Point Creamery team created a unique ice cream flavor involving the Maryland staple seasoning, Old Bay. Be sure to check out the links below to learn more about Rocky Point Creamery and, of course, to listen to more Farm Traveler podcast episodes. Now, please enjoy episode 207 with Emily Snyder. Uh, Well, Emily, welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast. I'm super excited to chat with you. How are you doing? I am doing well. How are you, Trevor? I'm doing great. Um, so, all right, I was I was stalking y'all's Facebook and Instagram and website and everything to kind of prepare, and I saw something that I have never seen before. You guys have Old Bay ice cream. Is that right? 
Oh, we do. We call it Krabby Cow, and I swear it has a cult following. People will start asking about it like in February. When are you going to have it? When are you going to have it? And it's one thing at this point, I just tell our staff, you need to make every customer sample it if they're trying to commit to a scoop. Mm. Like some people are all about it. They think it's the best thing ever. And then there's me and I'm like, "Mm, I think a spoonful is sufficient for me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a vanilla base with Old Bay seasoning mixed in and then swirls of caramel throughout. So it's like the salty, sweet thing. It screams Maryland almost literally. So, yeah. (laughs) I was about to say, I mean, that's like a Maryland staple, the Old Bay. And so, I mean, just to put it into an ice cream sounds like a winning idea. No, people are all about it. And if anything, I mean, they'll come in, they'll sample it. They'll either say yay or nay and then order something else. So, I mean, it's worked out for us in a business sense. It's definitely great for publicity. And like I say, there's some people who are all about it. So to each their (laughs) own, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. There you go. That's so fun. Um, And so you guys obviously are a creamery. Um, and I was reading up, y'all have gone f- from 10 cows to over 175 in four generations. So just real quick, give us like the whole background of kind of the whole history of Rocky Point Creamery. Yeah, I actually really like that story. So I married the dairy farmer. This is my husband's farm and his family's operation. Um, so their family, they actually started in Virginia. Um, right now we're right along the Potomac River. They were on the mm. Side of the river in Loudoun County. Um, so back in 1882, it's kind of funny, it's the same story as now. Um, they sold the farm over there for a very pretty penny. They came over here and on the other side of the river bought much cheaper land. Um, so, I mean, today we see a lot of people moving from this area. You know, they sell their farm at, at a huge value and move to the Midwest or somewhere else where it's cheaper. Um, So kind of the same story. Anyways, in 1883, they started on the farm that we're currently on here in Tuscarora, Maryland. Um, They did not milk cows at first. I think they had 10 cows, you know, kind of like personal use milk for them, maybe neighbors. Um, So Chuck's grandfather started milking. That would be three generations ago. Um, They started in a stanchion barn, if you're familiar with that, milked in that for quite a while. Um, When Chuck came back to the farm, I guess late 80s, early 90s, they put in a a parlor. And that's how we are milking up until 2021. We put in robotic milkers. Um, We can certainly dig into that too, if you like. Um, So there's 200 acres that we own that go with the farm, farming about another 400 rented acres. So a little over 600 acres of crops at this point. Um, We're milking about 120 cows, mostly Holstein. There's some Jerseys thrown in there and some Jersey and Holstein crosses. Um, And then we do have a beef herd too. So probably another 40 or 50 um, animals on the beef side of things. Okay, awesome. So also on your social media, I was going to ask you about this. I saw that you sold your own beef. And so is that kind of the beef herd there separately from the dairy herd? Yes. I'm not a real big fan of dairy beef. I know some people are. Um, So we do have a black Angus herd. We think that they turn Mm. out a little better in terms of steak and and everything else that people want to eat. So so there's probably 40 or 50 animals that are are strictly for beef. Okay, that's cool. And when did that kind of when did that side of things start um, with you guys? When did y'all start um, with the beef herd as well? I think Chuck's always had some hanging around the farm. Um, That's kind of my background. I mean, in high school, I got my first set of steers and started to do the grass-fed beef business. Um, Then when Chuck and I got together, it was kind of exciting to have a a true retail outlet for that. So we've definitely sold a lot more beef. Um, Actually, during COVID, we went through a heck of a lot of beef. We probably went from 
butchering maybe eight a year. I don't even know how many we did in 2020. I want to say closer to 20 animals. And I mean, we've certainly sold more since the pandemic's kind of behind us, if it's safe to say that. Um, it, it's it's trickled down a little. It's it's less than we were doing. But I think people finally realize, oh, they do have beef and we actually know where our meat came from. So, so that's been kind of cool. I bet that's so cool. Um, I love that you guys do that, that you have beef and also, you know, you've got dairy cattle there. Um, what, what's the whole process like of, of raising it and processing it like right there and selling it? Because obviously you guys sell it at the creamery also, don't you? Yeah, we sell all our beef through the creamery. We've got a freezer down there where customers can take a look, pick out their cuts of meat. Um, so, I mean, we've got our, our beef herd, our Angus will drop calves on the ground. We raise them up. Um, they actually start on a bottle for a couple of days and they go on, um, uh, we bucket train them, I guess is what I'm trying to say and start mm, okay. to feed them some grain about 90 days old. We start to introduce some silage, um, after we get them out of our calf pens and our group housing area, they go out on pasture for the vast bulk of their life. Um, last month or two, we'll bring them down to a, a pen where we can feed them some silage and grain to just finish them out and make sure it's the perfect beef product. Plenty of marbling. Make sure it's all good to go. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. And like, what kind of hurdles do you all have to go through um, raising them and then processing them on your facility? Because I know that's like a whole different thing um, whenever you go to you know process and sell your own beef. Like, What kind of hurdles did you all have to go through? Actually, we don't process. We do send them out to a butcher. Um, They're just across the line in Pennsylvania. Mm. Um, And we love using them. They're also a mom and pop shop. They've been very good to us. Um, We love that they can vacuum seal it. I mean, most of the butchers by us are either number one, really booked up, or they're still doing like paper wrap or just something that our customer base doesn't really love. They want to be able to see it, feel like it's from a true grocery store. Um, So we do haul our animals up to a butcher. And like I say, they do all the individual cuts. They put it in a vacuum, sealed, beautiful packaging. Um, It is USDA inspected. It has to be if it's going to be for resale. Um, And then we bring it back to the farm. So it is a whole other ballgame to butcher your own. And that's kind of why we don't. uh, We don't really have time. But just some of the, gosh, I guess you'd say liability and getting your facility up and running is just a little too much for us to want to make that jump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, that's interesting. And, and real quick. So like, I knew you sell them there in, in the creamery. Do y'all do any direct to consumer shipping with the beef? We do not. No, nope. So I know a lot of people either they do direct or they sell directly in their creamery. So, I mean, it sounds like you found your, um, audience whenever they come to your creamery. Is that right? Yeah, we're very lucky with that. It's nice that people can walk into a physical shop, take a look through the glass door freezer and see what they want. Um, I mean, we have done, if you mean like quarters and halves, we have sold that way before. But I don't want to say it's a pain in the neck, but it's a pain in the neck because it's not a a regular (laughs) thing for us. (laughs) So I don't want to discourage people from it, but we just don't do it that often because we have that creamery outlet for our meat. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. You found like it's interesting listening to everybody on the on this podcast. Like farmers have been finding out what works for them and what doesn't. Like for some people, direct to consumer works out a lot, but then for others, you know, having a farm store or a creamery and just selling that way works for them. So it sounds like it's a lot of like pass fail. Um, like, were y'all selling the beef during COVID, and did you have like a lot of issues during that? Like, what all happened during that? 
we were selling before COVID and it was just kind of an extra thing, if you will. It was just there. It was in a freezer. I mean, we had signage, but it wasn't a big deal and it'll never be the bulk of our sales. It's just a nice value add, if you will. Um, But yeah, during COVID, that was a fun time in general for everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. So I have an off the farm job at Farm Credit. I work for Farm Credit Express, which is like an equipment financing tool, basically. So they sent us home, I guess it was middle of March. And I was like, well, I don't think we're really going to sell ice cream in March and the whole world shut down. So I'll just set up my office by the drive through window. And if I can throw like, you know, five cones out the window a day, then that's fine. Well, holy cow, was I wrong. (laughs) We were crazy busy at the creamery. We almost doubled our sales for the year um, in 2020 as opposed to 2019. We sold a heck of a lot of ice cream just out of our one little drive-through window, um, fully staffed. I mean, at first, I mean, nobody knew it was going on at first, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, kind of as everybody learned about the the virus and pandemic and how to act. We we certainly adjusted and masked up and the whole nine yards. Um, But yeah, we sold a lot. Um, Obviously, people were really worried about where food was going to come from. So we sold a heck of a lot of beef. Um, I would venture to say we probably butchered 20 to 22 steers in 2020. Um, and that certainly spilled over into 2021, probably about the same again that following year. Um, people are just buying beef left and right. They're worried about finding anything at the grocery store. Um, we had cheese that was going out the window, too, um, and certainly ice cream. I mean, we had a line like like there's our our creamery buildings in the middle of the parking lot and people would loop around it three times in a line of cars. They would wait 90 minutes for an ice cream cone. Like it was totally insane, but I am forever grateful that they helped us stay alive during that time. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's so cool. I mean, that's gotta be some really good ice cream to wait, you know, 90 minutes for that's so neat. Um, I mean, have you seen a lot of that demand stay post the pandemic? Yes, we definitely have. We've been very Mm -hmm. fortunate. I mean, we had a very good business and great customer base before, but I think a lot of people found us during that time. And it was something that was number one, open, number two, food, and number three, something they could do. Um, And the fact that we're on farm was a big deal for a lot of people. It was that whole fresh air thing. Like we can be outside and not near people and just feel a lot safer. And whether that's true or not, if you were safer or not, I don't know. But that was a sentiment we got from a lot of people. So they just enjoyed having an outdoor space. I mean, we've got some picnic tables and just a grassy area where people can spread out. So we saw a lot of people picnicking there. Um, they would bring like a lunch and just hang out in the grass and then come get some ice cream through the drive through. Or we did start um, a walk up window. It was a little uh, jerry-rigged, but that's okay. We made it work. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a nice place for people to escape to during a kind of crazy time. That's so cool. And, you know, that's why I love the – I mean, I love creameries on a farm because, I mean, first off, it's a great idea, um, especially if you've got a dairy right there on site. You can get your own milk. You can make your own ice cream. But also you're bringing in people, and they can, like, literally see how the dairy works. They can see all the land. They can see the cows, like – it's a great way to kind of house them and have like some really simple agritourism on the farm. It is. And people always ask if we're going to expand or have another store wholesale. And I wouldn't say that's out of the question by any means, but at this point it's really important for us to have people to the farm and have Mm -hmm. some understanding or connection to their food. Cause so many people are so disconnected. I'm sure you, you live that too. Um, So, I mean, the cows aren't right there, but they can look, 
a you know, quarter mile back our lane and see actual cows. They see the buildings. You can see us feeding, scraping. I mean, you can kind of see that it's a working farm from the creamery. That's awesome. It's kind of like going to like a real life Willy Wonka chocolate factory, but it, you know, it's like a dairy farm and you can see what's going on there. Like how you guys know, are making like ice that. cream. I always say right. we want to be Disney World, but I think I like the Willy Wonka analogy better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so much better. Um, and I feel like that also leads to like some really good discussions with consumers. Like, you know, do they go there and they're like, hey, like, how do you make your ice cream? Like, how is the milk made? How are the cows treated? All that good stuff. We do get a lot of, I guess you'd say, cow care or farming mm. practice questions. Um, we're 35 miles northwest of dc as the crow flies so we certainly have a very urban customer base if you will um so a lot of them really don't know but they're very curious and they certainly want to know where their food comes from and have confidence in that so it's nice when i can be down there and answer some of those farming questions um, our staff is fantastic but a lot of them don't have any farming background so it's nice to get to talk to to our customers and answer their questions as they're as they're coming through. And we do try to do a lot of tours and ag education. Um, I haven't done a count on how many field trips we do per year, but certainly a good number um, of elementary schools. Um, we've actually started to do a lot more college level um, visits. Um, it, it might be virtual or they might actually physically come out on a bus. And I love those because they ask the real questions. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. Um, yeah, like, I mean, what all goes into scheduling those? Because those sound like they can be a super fun tour and like very educational for those. I really like it. Usually somebody will either email in through our website or, or call in or ask staff. I will try to schedule it whenever fits because obviously farming's a little crazy. If they ask for it in the middle of May, it's probably not going to happen. Mm. <laughs> um, and obviously, I mean, I said I have an off the farm job, so I have to you know take a day off or accommodate for that. So after we get them scheduled, um, depending on the size of the group, Chuck and I will take turns. Um, if I can do it by myself, I certainly will. But if it's a larger group, he'll take a group back to the farm on the bus. Um, and we can actually drive into our freestall barn. So we keep everybody contained, but they actually get to see the cows. Um, they can see one side of our robots, kind of where the, the cows enter and exit. Um, then we'll take them off the bus. We have a viewing room where you can actually see the inner workings of the robot and how they get milked. Um, and then we'll bring them down to the creamery, kind of talk about that side of the operation and, of course, have a cup or a comb. Let's talk about the robot milkers. Yeah. Um, like, how do they work? How did they replace, like, the whole milk, like, the whole manual milking y'all did? Like, what all goes into robot milking? So before we were at a parlor, so we were milking twice a day, um, basically took two people three hours twice a day. So six hours total of, of human labor, um, had to go to the freestall barn, get the cows up, move them to the parlor. I don't know, it wasn't a terrible distance, but there was still a certain amount of stress in getting your cows up and moving them to another building, going through mm. that milking process, putting them back. Um, and I mean, labor is really difficult to get. I'm sure you know that in any industry. Um, so if your health doesn't wake up, I mean, it kind of falls on you or, I mean, cows aren't getting milked and obviously that's not a good thing. So gosh, I think it was probably two years of research we did starting 2018, 2019, looking at robotics. Um, we made that decision in 2020, right before the pandemic, thankfully, um, got that order placed. We started milking in January, 2021 with robotics. Um, and it was, it was definitely a shift for the cows and the humans involved. Um, cows picked it up pretty quick. I'd say between three days and a week, most of them kind of figured out that flow of things. Mm. Um, 
much longer for the humans to adjust to kind of working <laughs> through a computer screen instead of seeing udders every day. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's called, our system is DLVAL. It's called a VMS 300. The VMS part stands for Voluntary Milking System. Um, so it's all free choice. The cows come and go as they please. Um, we've got some in there six, seven times a day. I think our average is 2.78 somewhere in there. So almost three times a day that most of the cows are coming through. Um, as they move through their lactation, they start to come less and less as they're producing less milk. So we have, we call it the red list. Whoever hasn't been in there often enough, we go and say, Hey, time to go milk and kind of push them into the stall. But mm. what, you know. well, like, how is that process like converting them from manual to robot? Like, were they skittish over the robot at all? We're like, wait, where's the human? Like, this is weird. It was definitely a learning curve for them. Um, when we first started, we had a team of about 10 people there for probably 10 days too, um, kind of just pushing cows in and getting them used to that stall, making sure the robot was identifying them, kind of mapping udders and figuring everything out. Um, but they learn pretty darn quick. I mean, cows are very much creatures of routine. So once they get into something, they want to stick with it. Mm -hmm. um, it was funny, probably that first year, you could kind of see the cows were still coming in, you know, between 4 a.m. and 7 a.m. Like there was a big backup then. And same thing in the afternoon at our old milking times. But we're, I don't know, two and a half years in and they're much more evenly spread out throughout the day with their milkings. We've gotten some new heifers in and, and the other cows, I guess, are letting old habits go. So it's been <laughs> nice to see them change. But it's That's really cool. I would say our cows are a lot happier now. When you walked really? in before, they would kind of scatter. But when you come in now, they know that nobody's going to get them up, have to move them somewhere. Mm. I feel like everyone's a pet now. Like the cow nerd in me is very <laughs> happy with that. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Um, it, it sounds like it's much more convenient for them, you know. And, the, you know, the, like, I don't know. That, that's, that's so cool. They're also like very creatures of habit where they want to get milked at a certain time. And it took them a while to adjust to that. But um, oh, so. Yeah. So how exactly does that robot milker work? Like I know it, it attracts them in there with feed and then there's like a camera that scans to find their udders and then it milks them, right? Yep, that is a good summary. Um, so all of our cows have an RFID tag in their ear. That's how the robot identifies them. Mm. Um, they Most of them also have a little cow collar on. It's actually a pedometer that tracks their steps. So we can come back to that too. Um, but anyways, the RFID tag in their ear um, is how the robot identifies them. So when she comes in, um, robot knows, hey, it's cow number one, two, three. She gets eight pounds of feed. Um, some of them, it dispenses it slower or faster, you know, depending on how fast that cow milks. Um, there's, you can send different rations through there depending on, on your animals. Um, so once she's in, it reads. Um, the first step is there's a, an arm that uses the camera, like you mentioned, to clean her off. Um, so it's a mixture of, I guess, iodine, soap, water, and air that kind of spins around the teat to clean her off. At the same time, it's also getting her ready to milk and stripping a little bit of milk. I think it's 10 milliliters out that it tests. Um, make sure that milk is quality and it's good enough to go in the tank. If for some reason it's not, um, for example, if she just calved and there's blood in the milk or something, totally normal and natural and fine, but we don't want that going into the tank. It can divert that waste milk, if you will. Um, so if it's something like that, we'll collect it to feed to our calves. Um, and if not, I mean, we just dump it down the drain, like if it was antibiotic milk or something. Um, so after it cleans her off, then it puts the milkers on. 
Um, it milks quarter by quarter, so each one's being milked individually. Um, on the screen, you can actually see four little circles that shows the flow of milk, how many pounds she's given so far. I think it takes them off when she gets to half a pound of milk a minute. Um, so that's how it knows when to pull the milker off. So they shouldn't be over or under milked. Um, and then after she's finished milking, it comes back with a post dip of iodine spray um, to kind of keep any germs out until she comes back in for her next milking. Okay, so I had no clue that um, they that it monitors the milk, like just that first little test. And if it's bad, it'll divert it. That's super cool. And I'm sure that that's like a huge, was a huge game changer for y'all in terms of productivity. Yes. So before, I mean, we certainly pre-stripped before and it was kind of a visual thing. Um, I mean, you would look if it looked like it might be the beginnings of mastitis or something, you would certainly dump that milk, treat her, whatever you needed to do. Um, so with this system, it's supposed to be catching it three or four days ahead of time. And I think that's pretty well accurate. Um, it'll tell you, it'll give you a list, you know, of cows that had questionable milk for lack of better words some it will it will dump you know if it's truly bad if it can't go into the tank others it kind of just gives you this list of of cows that went on the indicator list if you will um, mm. and you can go put eyes on them we've actually been using this mint balm um totally natural just like a minty balm i don't know how else to describe it <laughs> <laughs> um, and that kind of helps to pull any issues out, any infection out. So we've had a lot less antibiotic use, I would say, um, since then. And I always like to clarify, there are no antibiotics in milk. Anything is always dumped. There's a withholding period. But it's just like if you and I get sick, sometimes you just need a little help. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. And I like to tell everybody that. I mean, like your milk is tested before it's picked up. And if there are any antibiotic residue in it, it's poured out and it's dumped and like you cannot profit from that, obviously. And so that's not like no consumer is going to find any sort of antibiotic residue in their milk 100%. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, glad to help clarify that. That's so cool. And, and so you guys have a lot of cows. How many robot milkers do you have? We have two. Um, okay. So we had an existing freestall barn. It can hold about 300 animals. It is certainly not full, probably will never be full. Um, so the front half of the barn is kind of cut into quarters. The front mm -hmm. half is the entire milking herd. Um, so there's one robot on one side of the barn um, and then another on the other, basically mirror image. All the milk is piped over to one side of the barn to go into our bulk tank. Um, so yeah, it used to be divided out by heifers and, and older cows. Now everybody's mixed together. There's about 60 on each side of the barn. It's about what our robots can handle. Um, so yeah, that's actually been working out pretty well. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I was curious because some people have one, some people have five. So it sounds like you guys have two and I bet that they're like always in use because the cows are like, you know, working around their schedule, which is so fun. You know, I couldn't tell you exactly what the idle time is on those. I know you want it to be about 10% if you're going to mm. maximize and still have time for cleanings and, you know, any maintenance or, or breakdowns. Um, I think we probably could fit a few more cows through there, but that's just what we have right now and, and kind of what we're comfortable with. Hey, well, there you go. So the creamery is a big part of your business, but also... You've got a lot of really cool agritourism stuff on the farm. Like I was, again, I was talking to Facebook and y'all have goat yoga. Is that right? We do. I was judging a livestock show one weekend and I saw somebody 
I don't know, that I'd, I guess, done 4-H with as a kid. And I was like, hey, what are you up to? And she was mentioning that they had goats and were doing goat yoga. And it was one of those things I knew existed. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you have to do this at the creamery. So she was all on board with that. Chuck, my husband, I'm not sure he loved the idea at first. He was like, nobody's going to pay to do yoga with goats on a farm in the summer. And I was like, you wait and see, buddy. And you know what? It's been a really good thing. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah, I bet it's a blast for people to go out and do yoga and also have like the goats kind of interact with them. I mean, even like the baby goats. My wife is obsessed with goats. And so I need to find something like this for her. That would be so much fun. Oh, you do. And it's actually really funny. So we have obviously an outside farm brings the goats in and they bring in a whole other clientele. I would bet 75% of the goat yoga participants didn't know that the creamery existed or they haven't been there. So it's been a very good partnership in my opinion. Oh, that's perfect. And so are there any yoga poses that maybe frighten the goats where, you know, they lock up and they um, just kind of faint for a while? Because the fainting goats are adorable. (laughs) You know what? These are not the fainting variety. <laughs> mm, okay, probably a I'm safe very bet. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fun. And then, I mean, also, you guys sell sunflowers. Is that right? We do. Yeah, I think Chuck started that probably ten years ago, a couple years after the creamery started. We're our, we're located along a pretty quick road. I mean, it's probably fifty miles an hour through there. Lots of commuters on there. So initially, it was done to kind of just make people look, slow down. Hey, look, there's an ice cream shop there too. Mm-hmm. Um, realized how many people it brought in, and he was like, you know what, this is probably something we could turn into a really good thing. Um, so he decided that St. Jude, probably one of our favorite charities, um, could benefit from this. So we ask for a dollar per cut flower. Um, There's a ton of people who just want to take their Instagram picture or whatever. Um, So we ask for donations from them too. Last year, I think we donated 4,000. I think our peak a couple years ago, maybe 2020 or 2021 was Um, 9,000. So we'll see what we can do this year. That's so cool. Yeah, looking at it, um, I love the signs you guys have. It's like, hey, these sunflowers are 100%. uh, The proceeds go 100% to St. Jude. Um, I don't know if I've seen a lot of stuff like this at creameries and farms and stuff like that. I think that's super cool that you all have. You're like, hey, this is something fun for you. It's fun to pick. It's fun to go out there and explore. But also, it's going to help out a really good cause. Yeah, no, I think people like that. They like that the entire donation goes to a good cause. It's not coming back to us. I mean, we don't even take like seed or fertilizer money out of there. It's all goes to St. Jude's. Um, So yeah, I mean, a lot of places charge admission or whatever. This is just for people to enjoy and and do a good thing. That's awesome. And I also like the idea of y'all kind of planning it to bring awareness to the farm. I think that's so cool because I can't tell you how many times we've been driving down the road and we'll see flowers or sunflowers. We're like, oh, hey, look, flowers. And it's like, oh, there's a farm or there's a store there. I mean, (laughs) it's so right that it kind of attracts everybody. And you're like, oh, hey, look at that. It's like a perfect form of like natural marketing, I guess. Yeah, here's flowers. P.S. Buy an ice cream cone. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. And also it's like a good little, I don't know, add some value to the land, which is kind of plus and then you can pick it. So not bad at all. Yeah, no, it's been good. It's in a, I don't know, probably two acre patch. And then there's another, there's like a little billy goat bridge over this really tiny spot. That's not great for corner beans. So, I mean, the Mm. sunflowers are a really good fit for that little patch. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, And so it also looks like you guys help promote like a lot of local businesses, whether it's like other businesses or um, food trucks coming to the creamery, which I think is fun. So what all goes into 
working with other businesses in your community? I mean, we try to be a part of the community regardless. Like I'm in Rotary. Chuck was Maryland Farm Bureau president. Mm-hmm. We're on lots of different boards and committees and all the all the good things. Um, so it's a big deal to us to be involved. And of course, we have friends who have all those other businesses. Um, so food trucks are a big deal during COVID. Kind of wavered on that. I mean, some of them just didn't show up or... I don't know. There were just some issues with that. This summer, we've been working with a guy, a local guy who does barbecue, um, and he actually wants to meet this week to see if we can make something a little bigger of it. Um, so, so I mean, that's been pretty cool if you can bring people in and, and give them a spot to set up and just share that. I mean, it doesn't help or hurt our business, so I don't mind if somebody's out in the parking lot set up. Um, I mean... Like I said, we've got friends throughout the community. We have one friend who's at Flying Dog, um, which is a local craft brewery. So we've done some partnerships there. Like we've set up with them and done beer milkshakes. Um, They came down and did like a beer and ice cream pairing. So that was a pretty cool one. Um, We're working on doing a painting class right now. We actually had a lady. um, It's called Blue Skies and Grit. She's got a blog. Um, she came out a few years ago and, and did an article about us and we've kind of stayed in touch since and she'd like to come out and do a painting class of all things at the creamery. Um, so, I mean, we're open to anything. If someone's got an idea, throw it out there. <laughs> hey, there you go. The, the painting class seems really cool. I mean, would they be painting like, I don't know, a mosaic or something of the, of the scenery there? Like, do you know what they would be painting or is it kind of obviously just up to the artist? You know, she literally asked yesterday, I'm not sure, but since it's her and I love her and everything she does is great, I'm like, yep, we have a party room set up and do whatever you want. So I can let you know when that is. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. And, and you know, food trucks are great. I feel like they've exploded in popularity. And, I mean, you might think that you, y'all sell um, um, ice cream at the creamery, which is, you know, obviously food. And you might think that bringing in food trucks would be kind of competing, but obviously people want to eat something and they get dessert. So it's perfect. They're like, Hey, a night out, let's go to the creamery. We'll get food truck. We'll get food at the food truck and then go get some ice cream at the creamery. I, I think that's a perfect win-win. No, you're exactly right. Cause people ask us all the time, when are you going to start serving real food? And I'm mm. like, well, do you want to do all the staffing in another commercial kitchen? <laughs> or not? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's, a, that's another perfect question. Like, what all would have to go into that for y'all to start cooking food? Like you have one commercial kitchen for the ice cream. Um, would you have to do something totally different? Could, could you cook and um, could you cook like dinner food and ice cream in the same kitchen or how would that work? Um, I'm sure you could. I personally don't like that idea. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't really have the space where we are now. Like the kitchen works great for the volume of ice cream we're making and we could probably make more in there. Um, but just to get all the stoves and hoods and everything else, in my opinion, that would be a, another separate building. Maybe I'm wrong, but, <laughs> and I, I will say this, I love our county health department. They've always been good to me. They've been very helpful. Even if it's just hypothetical questions, like what we're discussing, they will sit down and walk through it with you. So that's one thing I'm very grateful for after speaking to other people in the industry. That's good. Yeah. I feel like, um, it, yeah, it might open like a whole new can of worms. Like you might think it might be simpler, but then, you know, you start to go into it and you're like, oh shoot, we need another building and another kitchen. So, I mean, it seems like what you guys are doing right now is working fine. So it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. I mean, restaurant business is tough. That's something I've never had any desire to get into. And I don't think Chuck has any desire to be slinging real food. So <laughs> <laughs> again, maybe we're wrong, but that's not something I'm willing to take on at this point. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't blame you at all. Um, 
it's kind of going along those lines of like future projects. Like what, what are y'all planning to do in the future? Like maybe the next like five or 10 years in terms of like growing the creamery, growing the business, and maybe just like in terms of like growing the brand. Yeah, that's a great question. I always joke. I always say when I get fired from farm credit, like I can do so much more down here, (laughs) Um, which isn't true. I, I love what I do at farm credit and the opportunities it gives me for travel and just professional networking and, and some time away. Quite honestly, I don't ever see myself being at the farm seven days a week. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I love to spend more time there, no doubt about that. Um, But anyways, I guess to answer your question, um, we're actually looking at upgrading our playground equipment this fall. Um, Right now, the creamery is kind of a mob scene. So when, you know, kids go back to school and it cools off a little, we're going to look into getting our playground a little more updated. Um, Right now, we have a combine that's been repurposed into a bunch of slides and like a climbing set, basically. It needs a little love, a new paint job, maybe adjust the slides a little better. Um, And we've been looking at some more. I guess you'd say commercial grade playground equipment to add on because that's a pretty big deal. Lots of families come out and they need that space to play and wiggle and have fun. Um, so definitely an updated playground. Um, I would like to put up a pavilion, um, give people some more space, um, more shaded space to spread out, maybe have some live music. I mean, I think it opens up a lot more possibilities if you have some extra outdoor space. Um, I would like to put up some sort of, I don't want to say admission stand, for, but for lack of better words, some sort of building to kind of control the flow in and out of the sunflowers a little better. I don't mm. know if you can sell drinks out of that too. Um, as far as a second location, that's certainly not off the table, but it's going to have to be the right time, right place. Um, I'd have to figure out how to manage my life a little better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Now, I mean, with that location, I mean, obviously just be a, only the creamery and then you'd have to transport the milk over there. What are you thinking about that? You know, we would probably make everything in our current facility and just move frozen product to another one, or at least mm. that's how I personally envision it. Um, we had an opportunity in a, a pretty urban area close to us, um, and it would just be retail space. We would have had to just bring in our ice cream to there and basically just store it and scoop it. Um, but I mean, you never know. Never say never <laughs> about anything. People always ask if we're going to wholesale, and I, I don't see that one happening. Um, that's a whole other set of liability and labeling and just a whole other ball game. And, and probably the bigger piece for us is we do a lot of things by hand. So for example, if you think like cookies and cream, we do not put the cookies in the ice cream machine. Like a lot of people do it really beats them up and they become crumbly. It's a really funky texture. So all that kind of thing is mixed in by hand. And there's really just not a good way to scale that up and keep the same quality and integrity of ingredients. So that's a big deal to us. Again, maybe we're wrong, but we kind of like what we're doing right now. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that, that sounds like the way to do it. I mean, people love, you know, classic handmade ice cream that gets like a lot of love made into it. Um, have you ever kind of got kind of talking about those flavors and like, um, making the ice cream have you ever got any like weird requests for something oh yeah oh my word (laughs) if i got a i could write you a book just bullet points of flavors that are suggested to us (laughs) oh really like what most recent one somebody (laughs) wanted a ginger hibiscus which sounds good but i'm not sure how much of it we'd sell just based on other funky things we've tried Last, no, it must have been two years ago. Somebody wanted a pawpaw flavored ice cream. And if you're not from West Virginia, you probably don't know what a pawpaw is. <laughs> it's some yeah, no clue. root <laughs> thing. 
I was like, I don't think our health department's going to love that one, but I appreciate your creativity. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. So yeah, there's always a suggestion or we didn't make pistachio this week. What's wrong with us? When will it be back? I mean, pick your flavor that they want. So (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Um, Some friends and I, we went to um, a creamery in Michigan for a trip. And we went there. It was super fun. It was called Moomers. And oh, we yeah. went there. They're awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're so cool. They went, we went there, toured them. I think President Biden went there a week after we were there. We're like, oh my gosh. But um, we were there, and a friend of mine was in line and he wanted um, cookies and cream. And he went, he, he was in line and he asked, hey, do you have cookies and cream? And he's, and she's, the lady at the counter said, uh, no, we don't. And he just stood there for like, 20 seconds it didn't say anything and she said we can make some he was like okay sure thank you and he told me afterwards he was like it's he was like that's a great strategy i do if like somebody has something and i want it but they don't have it and i was like oh my god that's brilliant and so he got like a like a half pint of cookies and cream like they just made it right then so i was like dude that's such a great strategy that is amazing i think they're big enough they probably have like a continuous flow machine where they're just constantly pulling ice cream out of it and the only reason i know them is because most ice cream shops are part of a group called National Ice Cream Retailers Association. Oh, and it is okay. the best bunch of people. Like normally when you go to like, I don't know what you'd say, like a conference type thing, like a lending conference, it's so dry and boring and you just want to poke your eyes out. But when you go to the ice cream convention, holy cow, not to be punny, but holy cow, it's the <laughs> best, like brightest, happiest, most unique bunch of people. And it's really cool because we're all in the same business. They all want to share how to be better, how to be more profitable. Like it's just an amazing bunch of people. So that is how we know the Moomers crew. And they are awesome. I think um, their owner might be on the board of that that Ice Cream Retailers Association. So yeah, shout out to them. Thanks for doing good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, I love how um, collaborative a lot of these creameries and a lot of like different organizations in farming are. Um, that's so cool. Like y'all are just kind of sharing, you know, what works for you, what doesn't. I mean, like what all have you learned from that from that group? Oh my gosh, they will share flavor ideas, um, mm. even as boring as it sounds, like inventory tools. Um, I mean, some people are working off an Excel spreadsheet. Some people have built software to keep track of their inventory. Like, and it's really cool because there is every level from, you know, us, you know, one store location to people with 20 locations and who are wholesaling. And it's just nice to go bounce ideas or you know, staffing um, and kind of dealing with the HR side of things is a big piece of it. And they make it fun. Um, They will share, you know, how their hiring practices or how do you retain or how do you gently let somebody go? Like all the things Mm. that aren't fun, but are necessary, they make a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. I mean, when you go to their trade show, it's a, it's all these different flavors. Like there's a flavor contest, best vanilla, best chocolate, best new flavor. Like it's just a fun time. I can't say enough about it. (laughs) Okay. What, what are some really good winners from the best new flavor? That sounds really neat. Oh, golly. It's been over a year since we've seen them, I guess. But <laughs> putting me on the spot here. I don't know. They've had some very cool ones there. Usually like the alcohol infused ones, people are kind of kind of head towards. <laughs> mm, okay, that makes sense. Have y'all entered the, um, the Caramel Old Bay one? We haven't. We have not what? entered anything with them for a while. <laughs> I feel like the Old Bay one would be a hit. 
Oh, either you love it or you hate it. I, I cannot <laughs> express that enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like you, you like Old Bay or you don't. I, have you put Old Bay on popcorn? Because I'm a big fan of that. That's okay. I'll eat it on fries. Like, I'm not an anti-Old Bayer, Ooh, okay. but I feel like it belongs on crabs and I don't need a mm. ton of it. And I'm pretty sure they're going to tell me I don't belong in Maryland anymore. So I'm not going to say that too loud. <laughs> that's so funny. But I feel like that's still such a great ice cream where you're kind of embracing all things Maryland. And you're like, hey, you should try. I mean, th that's like here in Florida. I feel like we need to have a creamery that has like an orange ice cream where it's just infused with maybe some oranges, maybe a little key limes. And that would be perfect. Well, you know, maybe just a key lime ice cream because that's like our... That's our state dessert, so that would be a winner. Okay. we So we have made key lime, and people loved it. If someone's not doing it down there, they absolutely should. <laughs> yeah, you know, I need to see. I've interviewed a couple of creameries. I need to ask them to see what they're doing. Um, there's So maybe they're a part of this group. I don't know, but they're called Southern Craft Creamery in Mariana. Have you heard of them? Hmm. I feel like Southern Creamery is ringing a bell. I think they might make it in bulk and wholesale, like to a bunch of different places. Is that? Yeah, they might. Right? So I've done a, I've done a farm tour there and they're based in Mariana, Florida, and they're really cool. And they just upgraded. They built a newer space um, in downtown Mariana where they have, they do their ice cream. They also have some direct to consumer beef and a couple other things. So yeah, I'll have to see if they're part of, if they're a part of that um, ice cream retailer association. I'll have to check on that. I'm literally Googling right now to make sure I'm talking about the right one. But there's <laughs> something that comes to that ice cream association event. And they, I mean, they're like a vendor there and they have amazing stuff. But I'm not sure if what you're talking about is just a one location thing. Mm, I can't okay. Google Yeah, they just have the one you. location, I believe. Yeah. Oh, oh, it looks like they're an on-farm spot too. Very cool. Oh, nice. Well, perfect. <laughs> Look at that. Small world. Yeah, if you're ever in Florida, I encourage you to visit them. They are super fun. They do farm tours all the time. Um, yeah, and they're like two hours away from me, so it's it's very perfect. Yeah, we did a farm tour there, and it was so fun. My wife isn't really from agriculture, and so she came, and she actually got to saw, see a calf being born, and it was amazing. She was like, oh, my gosh, it's so cute. <laughs> and then right next to where one gave, um, gave birth, there was another one that was born like that morning. And we got to see it stand up for the first time. And it was adorable. It was such a fun time. And they're like, yeah, but stuff like this happens all the time on tours. I'm like, that's so neat. Well, it's funny because I feel like maybe you and I take that for granted, seeing that kind of thing. But when yeah, the public mm -hmm. comes out or somebody who's not used to it, like that is something that sticks in their mind and makes them think of you and have some, again, some connection to their food and the whole process and all the work that it took, you know, literally from calf to cow to cone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so fun. And like, I've seen calves a hundred times. And that was her first time. Um, she got a pet a calf. And she was like, Oh, my gosh, it's a baby cow. And it was so fun. Um, <laughs> we even saw I think like one calf got out of the barn and was just like kind of walking around. And we're like, Hey, buddy, what you doing? But yeah, it was so fun. And th that's so true. Like some of the stuff that we kind of take for granted, like somebody removed from agriculture experiences it. And they're like, that was the coolest thing I've ever experienced. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of the cool part of the tours. Like some of the questions you get and you realize how fortunate you are to have the lifestyle that you do and to be that connected with your food and, and just everything with the land. I mean, not to sound tacky, but, but after spending time with people who don't have that opportunity, you do take it a little less for granted. It's very cool. A hundred percent. And so 
you guys are amazing. You do a lot of stuff on the farm to bring awareness to the creamery, obviously, and to just kind of teach people about agriculture in general. Like, what advice would you give to farmers that are maybe thinking about starting some sort of agritourism on the farm? Absolutely. It's definitely a value add. I mean, in our area, like I say, very urban area, um, it's tough to farm. I want to say you're not going to make it just farming conventionally. Um, Mm -hmm. But I always say we wouldn't have cows if we didn't have a creamery. Um, I mean, milk market, I don't want to say it's broken, but milk prices aren't great. You're probably not going to make a living just milking cows unless you have a ton of cows. Um, So for us, that makes our cattle habit possible. Um, I mean, you can't have ice cream without the cows. So it really works hand in hand. But I guess to get back to your question, in our area or really anywhere, yeah, get people out to the farm. Make them understand where food's coming from. There's a ton of challenges, and I'm sure it's going to be a learning curve, but it will be worth it. It might be a slow start, but just stick with it. I mean, just use your head and kind of figure out what does and doesn't work. And even if you don't like something, I mean, that doesn't mean your customer doesn't. If you don't like chocolate ice cream, that doesn't mean you can't put it on your menu <laughs> kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> That's true because cho- I, I is chocolate the most popular ice cream flavor or is it vanilla? Oh, vanilla. Every vanilla. time someone samples something and then goes back and orders a vanilla cone, a little more of my soul dies. <laughs> it's so boring. <laughs> I guess I'm not supposed to say that in public, but we sell so much vanilla. People will sample something else, whether it's Krabby Cow or you pick it, and then they order vanilla. I'm like, oh, you couldn't branch <laughs> out today. <laughs> okay, I'm guilty because I like vanilla and I just try to get vanilla everywhere I go. So I am definitely guilty, but I try to get cookies and cream also. Okay, I will say this. If you want to see how ice cream stack up against each other, you should try the vanilla. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know if it's good or bad or middle of the road. So I will give you that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, th- that's true. It's a good kind of bar you can compare all the different creameries and all the different ice cream to. But I mean... Once you figure it out, you should get the other ice creams. Like you should get, um, oh, there was one actually at Southern Craft Creamery. It was like an espresso caramel um, ice cream, and it was delicious. It had like little bits of caramel and some espresso ice cream, or some espresso in it, and it was probably one of the best ice creams I've ever had. And I never would have tried it, but they were like, "Yeah, this is like one of our best sellers." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's delicious." It sounds amazing. I'm all about that. <laughs> oh, it was good. I mean, I think I was bouncing off the walls for the whole day because of the sugar and because of the espresso. So not bad. <laughs> it was a good way to start the day, I will say. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emily, this has been so fun chatting with you. If people are in Maryland and they want to come visit you or if they want to follow you on social media, where all can they go to learn about you guys and all things Rocky Point Creamery? Yeah, we are on Facebook and Instagram. I think both accounts are just at Rocky Point Creamery. Um, Website is RockyPointCreamery.com. And then if you want to visit us, we are in Point of Rocks, Maryland. Um, Very halfway between Leesburg, Virginia and and Frederick, Maryland. So pretty easy to find. Well, perfect. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, my wife and I, we were in D.C. for a couple of months, but we didn't make it over. Actually, I don't think we went to Maryland at all which we need to, but we're going back up in September. So we might have to make a day trip over um, to you guys and say, Hey. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Email, text, whatever. Anytime. We're happy to show you around. Deal. Well, perfect. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Emily. We appreciate it. Thank you, Trevor. We'll see ya. Thanks so much to Emily for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. 
To learn more about Rocky Point Creamery, check out the links below in the description, as well as going over to thefarmtraveler.com to check out more of our content, and of course, over on YouTube. Pretty much whatever social media platform you're on, just check out Farm Traveler, and we'll see you there. All right, see you next week. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.